0: I want to say before we get started today, this is a pastoral message, but if you're here today and you're lost without Jesus Christ, you've never been saved, and your one heart beat away from hell, I want to encourage you to be saved today. Amen. And you can be saved, you can get saved right there where you're sitting if you wanted to bad enough. I'll tell you one thing, folks, uh, I'll just say this before we get started. One time, I don't know how I came across this, but it wasn't this before I ever had a phone that had internet, I don't know where I saw this at, but I saw it. There was a young man down in Arkansas that had killed some people. And it was at his court sentencing. He had been found guilty by a jury of murder. And the judge and the jury recommended sentence to death. I never forget when the judge had him to stand before him and said, the court in such such county and state of Arkansas hereby condemns you to be sentenced to death. For the, and he listed the crime. And when he did that, that boy collapsed on the floor. And his mother, who was sitting about three seats behind him, she came up out of her seat and her hands went up in the air. And she just fell backwards, screaming wailing. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Nowadays, they have many, many clips of people just being sentenced to life, being sentenced to, you know, five years, ten years. And, and, And it's amazing. You want to see something weird, watch the people as they're sentenced. Many of them, especially on hard sentences, collapse in front of the judge. Now, I want you to take that and see the scene at the great white throne judgment. Amen. And men are, women and young people are sentenced to an eternal damnation and torment in the lake of fire forever and ever. With no hope of parole, no end in sight of ever coming out of there. And I've often thought this, it's no wonder the Bible says that they were cast into the lake of fire because they're not going to go voluntarily. And one of the things you'll see if you watch court scenes like this, most of the time they do not walk out voluntarily. Many times they're fighting, hollering at the judge, fighting against the base. But you know something? I've never seen one yet that got away. And nobody's going to escape the righteous judgment of Almighty God. Yeah. And, I, and if you're here today and you're lost, I want you to know this. There's going to come a day. And this life is over. And if you're without Jesus Christ, you're not going to be condemned. You're condemned already. And if you were to die, you'd go to hell. Yeah. And we don't want that. And I want you to know something. I never did, but I'm sure not at this point in my life in the business of playing games with your soul. We're not here to psychologically even talk about you and just, you know, slide your greets, grease your slide to hell. If you're lost, you need to be saved. And I'm telling you what I would promise you I do. You say, I want to be saved today. You can get saved right there. You can just bow your head and say, God, be merciful to me a and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Receive him that he died for you in your place, shed his blood, suffered your death in your place. And was buried to take away your sins and rose again on the third day to give you eternal life. And the Bible said you believe on him. God will save you right where you sit. Amen. But if you say, Reggie, I'll tell you what, I ain't sitting here and get saved. You come, I'll quit preaching. You want to get me stopped preaching? Just come be saved. Amen. We'll shorten this service up a bunch. I promise you. So I want to encourage today. I'm preaching to the people, preaching to the church. This is a church pastoral deal. But boy, if you're, if you're lost, my, maybe you're listening online. Man, get saved today. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. All right, we, we're going to get in this message, and this message is on a message to pastors and preachers that God may call, people, men that God may call uh, into pastoring and preaching the ministry of it. Now, we said last week, just to review real quick, if any man. Now, let me tell you something down in verse number uh, two, he talked about the husband and one wife we said that God is not going to call a woman to preach. I'm sorry if that upsets you, but it's what the Bible says. And I'm going to stay with the Bible, not you. And, and he said, the husband one wife, he said, if any man. So it's, it's got to be a man. And then he said, if he desire. The desire comes from God. God gives grace. Grace, part of the working of grace in the Christian's life is that God gives him a desire. God gives you a desire to come to church. He gives you a desire to sing. God gives you a desire to read the word of God. A desire to pray. A desire to witness to other people. And for some men, God gives them the desire to preach the word of God. Okay. He just puts it in them. And that's maybe hard to explain, but it's, it's part of the working of the grace of God. And then we said further, it is an office of the new Testament. doesn't make anybody any better than anybody else. It's just part of one of the two offices of the new Testament church. And we talked about the Bishop, what it is. He's an overseer. Uh, the word pastor, shepherd, so forth is used many times. Hebrews chapter 13 talks about it. And we looked, we looked exclusively more closely last week at Acts chapter 20. We're not going to go there today. But Paul said he served with the humility of mind, with many tears, temptations. He kept back nothing. He showed them publicly house to house repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the Bible said, that they were to be blameless. And we talked about the fact that blameless means that th- though you're accused, you are not guilty. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, if I, I don't know anybody and I certainly don't, I don't qualify for everything here, but God still, if God waited for a perfect person, he wouldn't have anybody to preach. Okay. If you want to know something about how God works and I tell you, it blows my mind. David did what he did, and yet God used David, and he wrote those psalms and stuff. And I, I, I don't understand all about it, but I'm glad God can use broken people, repentant people, people who are not perfect, and I want you to know something. God can use you today, amen, and he wants to use you, and I will say this. You can have a ministry of your own. You can have a fruitful, fulfilled life in finding what God wants you to say. Well, I'm not going to be a preacher. Well, that, that's fine, but that doesn't mean you can't witness to people, that you can't be a blessing to people, that you can't exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and serve God in some way, amen. And uh, so anyway, uh, be blameless. Well, i tell you the truth about it is I'm, I'm, I'm not blameless. I just not. But uh, I will say a lot of things have been said about me not true, but I'm glad they don't know all the truth. Amen. Amen. If they knew if you all knew everything, you probably wouldn 't be here this morning anyway, then we said he 's to be the husband of one wife. We talked about that not divorced or remarried and by the way, one wife at a time. Let me say something to you. A lot of religious cults such as Islam and Mormonism and stuff used and Mormonism claims they don 't uh, support but some branches was doing to polygamy. Polygamy means you have more than one wife and uh, uh, let me tell you in the Old Testament. Uh, Abraham had, uh, two wives and he had two concubines. David had several wives, all these guys. And they use that as a justification. And I'm gonna tell you what you watch your new Testament. When you read Jesus, Jesus always said, but, but from the beginning, it was not so. Okay. And you always want to do what Jesus did from the beginning. How many wives did God create for Adam? One. one wife. There it is. Come in new Testament. He hadn't changed a bit. Has he husband of one wife? All right. So that's just your Bible. Now, did God have mercy? Did God endure and was long suffering with those men and their wickedness? Yeah, he was. But it didn't make it right. And if you read it, they had a lot of trouble over it. A lot of trouble over it. And then he said, "Be vigilant." And that means alert and watchful, and, and be on guard, and be on the ball to danger, and, and provide safety and security. And you know, when you walk in this church, you ought, to be, you ought to feel safe. You ought to feel secure, and you ought to feel secure spiritually. If you're saved, you ought to feel secure. God wants you to know you're secure in Christ. Amen. I mean, He's not got a hold of you and doesn't want to let you go and stuff like that. He saved you, he put you in Himself. I mean, I'm going I'm to give you something to blow your mind. For you to be lost after you're saved, did you know that God would have to die? You're in Christ. He puts you in Christ when he saves you. So if you're lost, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, I ain't going there, but good land of living. Uh, uh, But I need to be vigilant. As a pastor, I need to be vigilant. The Bible says that means on the ball and alert to stuff that's going on, guarding the flock and keeping the wolves away. And then he said sober. Now, we think of that being not drunk. But sober in this elementary meaning means being in command of your passions, ruling your own spirit. Now, I want to tell you something right now. This is a problem. Let me just say something about this church. Let me tell you how Satan blows up a lot of great works of the Lord by immorality. I want to tell everybody in this church, live moral. Don't be chasing after nobody. We're going to get into something. But God's got a description. Everybody in this church is either your elder or younger brother a sister, or a mother. That's your Bible language. When you walk into church, I try to call, God wants me to call all these young ladies sister. There's a reason for that. Okay? And when he's talking about being sober, being in command of your passions, being command, you may be tempted, you may have thoughts come, but you take control of those under the Holy Spirit. Be carnally minded is what? Death. Be spiritually minded is life and peace. Uh, you're going to have thoughts and you're going to have temptations. If you don't, you're dead already. But we have power through the Holy Spirit to command and take control of those thoughts and of those temptations and to live in victory over it. And I just going to say something to you. You're to have a lot of trouble in church? Just let somebody do something stupid morally in here. Rip the guts out of a church. And so anyway, and then the next thing is good behavior. And I don't know what that means. I haven't looked it up in the Greek and Hebrew, so I don't have no clue what it means. You know, isn't it funny? I don't have to look none of this up in the Greek and Hebrew you know what it means. Amen. I'll do well to read English. Be of good, just your personal conduct and communication your life and the world ought to be of good behavior. Give in to hospitality. Ought to love people, welcome people. Hospitality doesn't just mean necessarily having a home, but you welcome them into your heart. you need never get to welcome, welcome people in your heart. The Bible talks about enlarging your heart. If you're going to minister to people, your heart has to get big. You have to have an enlarged heart to to minister to people. I would just throw this at you today. Ask yourself this question. How large is my heart? Do I have room in it for everybody in this church? Do I have room in my heart for the people that don't go to church here? Do I have room in my heart for people that I don't particularly like the way they believe or act or whatever the problem is? Do I have room for you in my heart? And in the ministry, you have to have an enlarged heart. Now, in, the, in health, you think, well, that's bad. But, oh, Paul said, our heart is enlarged. And the more people you reach, and the more people the church reaches, the heart has to get enlarged. I got to keep trucking. Anyway, then he said, that, uh, uh, Number 12, apt to teach. And in Ephesians four eleven, 11, uh, it talks about pastors and teachers. It's the only dual calling I know of in the Bible that way. But anyway, and that means that you've got to know the Word of God and rightly divide the Word of God and study the Word of God and preach the Word of God. And then he said uh, the next thing down there, he said, not giving wine. And that should be a no-brainer. No striker, that should be a no-brainer. Uh, not greedy or filthy lucre, that ought to be a no-brainer. You know, using the ministry for money. And I ain't going there. I could preach for 30 minutes on that I'm not doing it. Patient. I don't like that deal. Let's go on to the next thing here. But I'm going to tell you something. A preacher, a pastor, a preacher has to be patient. People, let me just say something. It takes time for kids to grow up and it takes time for young Christians to grow up. And you need to be patient. You want other people to be patient. I want you all to be patient with me. I need to be patient with you. We need to be patient with each other. You say, well, he ought to know better now. He probably does But give him time to grow in the Lord and have some mercy on him like you'd like folks to have mercy on you. And be patient with people. Just We know patience with each other goes a long, long, long way. Just being patient with each other. And uh, then he says, not a brawler and that's fighting and fussing and all kinds of stuff, a lot of stuff, not covetous, wanting things that, uh, you know, that God doesn't want you to have and that belongs to other people. And then he said in verse number four, last week, we got in this deal of, uh, of uh, ruling well our own, ruling well his own household, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule the house of God, how should he take care of the church of God? And I, I would say to you young men, learn, if you get married, have children uh, before you worry about ministry, worry about ministry and your own family. Your own family's more, it's your family and your children are what's going to give you credentials to the world as far as preaching. It's just the truth. And if your kids are, you know, just causing havoc through the church and they won't mind you. And I'm talking about down here in the gym and you say to them one time, listen, come over here and stand by daddy. And they just look at you and run off. You got problems. You got problems. Those children, and that's all done at home, by the way. That's all done at home. You teach a child to obey at home. By the way, obedience and attentiveness. My wife will tell you this, she, you know, that obedience and attentiveness are the first two things that you want to teach a child. If a child is not taught to obey, he will not learn to obey. If he doesn't learn to obey mom and dad, he won't learn to obey God. He won't learn to obey law. Nothing. He's just a chaotic mess. So attentiveness is also important. Whenever dad says, when the dad speaks to a child, that child, he will pay attention. Attentiveness is very, very important. And I'm not preaching on this whole subject today, but just throwing this and This is part of ministering, that your children need to know how to be attentive, to obey, and, and to love the Lord. And boy, I tell you, I, I, I don't know, kind of point in life where I just think, man, I failed and failed and failed. But let me just say this to you. the Biggest thing, one the, I've said this a thousand times, Karen said it to me one day, she said, Reggie, do we want our children to do right and to live for the Lord to make us look good or is it for God's glory? And you need to ask yourself that question. What is my motivation for my children doing right? Because here's what will happen. Your children will know your motive. And if your motive is not for God's glory, they'll resent it. We're just doing this to make Dad look good. He'll hurt you. And it's not right to start with. It's wrong. We've got to move on from there. Uh, not a novice. When we got just about where we quit last week, he said down in verse number six, not a novice. And that means a new new Christian. Very dangerous to put a new Christian in a position of pastor of church. I'm not saying it shouldn't ever be done. But, but uh, I tell you, if they don't know the Word of God, and the novice, God says don't do it. Lest he be you be lifted up. You I want to tell you something. You don't take a guy into a work situation and put him down to a piece of equipment that he's never had no experience with. You just say, go at it, and to blows the place up. You know, it just is not an option. You need to be around it a little bit, <laughs> amen? And the God of God, you know, you're not smart and not saying less being lifted up with pride. And what happens is, and I've seen this before, a young preacher gets started and maybe he's, you know, preach a good message and everybody brags on. First thing you know, he thinks he's God's gift to the church, you know, and he's in trouble and it's over with. And he said, lest he fall in the combination of devil. And then verse number seven, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall in reproach and a snare of the devil. And that is so important. Uh, you know, again, it kind of goes back to this blameless thing. They may say things about it, but is it right? And that's where we quit last week. Now, sometimes the Bible calls, uh, an under shepherd. I would like for you to put up second Timothy chapter four verses one through five, if you would, and you can turn there in your Bibles. The Bible talks about there in second Timothy chapter four on this whole issue of pastoring. And, uh, it talks about the feeding and leading and protecting the flock from with A shepherd, that's what a shepherd does. A shepherd also knows the, what, what food is good for the flock and what is not good for a flock and where the, what weeds are poisonous and, and so forth and knows what to keep the flock out of. Now, uh, the Bible said there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 1, it said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, in His appearing in his kingdom. And here he takes off again on this issue of ministry. And this is probably, the, I think, the, one of the biggest issues about preaching and pastoring. He's he said this, preach the word. Amen. Preach the word. He didn't say preach outlines from the denomination. He didn't say preach the denominational line. He didn't say preach your favorite subjects. He said, preach the word. And another place is to preach the whole counsel of God. So if God calls you to preach, he wants you to preach the entire word of God and to rightly divide the word of truth. And, uh, and I'm telling you right now, churches would be better off many times if they just read a chapter, sung a few songs, prayed, had a time of prayer and go home. than to have some of this yip, 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 yip stuff that you listen to the whole message and you, don't, you really don't know. There wasn't no Bible in it. All right. Now. Uh, we're going to look at some things here. He said there in verse number, he said, be instant in season, out of season. Now, if you're going to be a preacher, and again, I know this different message. And I'm going to tell you something. That as I said last week, there ain't anything worse than a guy has been preaching 40 years like I have and thinks he knows it all. Right. Ain't nobody knows it all. Ain't nobody done it all right. And I'm just, I know now, I'm not, I know what I do know right now is I don't know much. Amen. I've learned that much in 40 years. I don't know much. I'm telling you honestly, I feel like I have just barely barely got into the Bible. I mean, it's just 40 years I've been preaching. And I've preached through books after book after book after book and preached on person after person and I've got thousands and thousands of messages and I feel like I just barely touched the surface. You know, I'm serious with you, and I'm not joking about that. But uh, uh, God says, be instant in season, out of season. I was, I, I, I was going up for 25 years. I went up to Boyd Hoffer's camp on Labor Day and preached up there at a Jubilee for 25 years in a row. I leave here at church. Sometimes flew up there to get up there in time, and other times drove six hours to pull in there in just time to preach. And anyway, one year I left early and I had somebody preach for me, and I thought, I'm going to go to Brother Larry Brown's church and just see what's going on there because the Lord is blessing that work and doing a good work there. And I thought, I'm going to slip in. I didn't really know. I just met him one time, didn't know anybody else that went to that church. And I thought, I'm just going to slip in, sit in the back congregation, try to see what they're doing that's right, try to learn, see if it can help me as a pastor. So I drive up there and uh, I got up there and I come in there that morning, sat in the back, Brother Belial actually met me at the door, didn't know him at the time, didn't know he was a missionary at the time. And I sat way back at the back of the church. Well, they, the song leader jumped up when they started church and they sung a song and more well, they're singing, song got over, and Brother Larry Brown, he jumps up to the pulpit and every, you know how he is, you know, everything's glory. To you, and he's just talking about what's going to happen today and all of a sudden he goes, Brother Kelly, is that you? I mean, I'm, I mean, you know, that's 700 people going to that church. I mean, he's got an eagle eye, I eh, man. Or he can spot an ugly guy fast, that's all I can say. But anyway, and I kind of went and listened to me. He looked at congregation and said, I've been pastoring here 25 years. I ain't never done this before. That man's going to preach for us today. <laughs> I mean, and this is the honest truth. I wasn't in good shape spiritually. One of the reasons I was there. I was kind of a low time in life. Had no inkling of an idea, impossibility of preaching there. He goes, you got your gun loaded, ain't you? Be instant in season and out of season. I went... He said he's preaching for us, and I got up preaching on balance with you. it. It was pitiful. I was so nervous; it just was pitiful. Seriously, I wasn't in good shape spiritually. It was just a mess. I should have actually. what I said, Larry, I appreciate it, but I came to hear you. I came to learn. I, I, I just wished I'd have done that because I just totally. I mean, I'm honest with you. It's bad. But anyway, what I'm saying is, but God said, "Be instant in season, out of season. You got to be ready." You tell me, well, you say you're preaching, and, you, and, and, and if somebody hits you, no, we're going to have camp meeting out here. And we're going to have times during that camp meeting where we're going to go in there, and we're going to sing about two verses of song. And I'm going to say, brother, someone's going to preach for us 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 20 minutes. I'm going to do that. I mean, I got preachers coming, in, there's preachers here, and we're going to do it. And there may be, there'll be some of you I'll say, Three minutes. Some of you want to die. You think you can't do it. You can, Amen. I've done it. I've had to do it. I've been in meetings where they called and said, "Preacher, Reggie, come up here. You got three minutes. and Preach. You can do it. You think you can't?" And they go, Bluh, You're over. Next guy up here. Sing a verse and get another guy up here." That make you humble, Amen. But anyway, what I'm saying, be instant in season. I say, you say I'm a preacher. You better have something ready all the time. And that ain't just talking about preaching, but you should be so studied up, so full of God's word. You're ready to preach. Amen. 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 And then you're also ready to witness to somebody. God sends somebody along. It ain't just about being behind the pulpit. It's about the people that you're meeting. Be instant in season and out of season. All right. Because let me just tell you the truth about it is preaching most of the time is out of season. (laughs) Amen. Then he said to do something. He said to reprove. He said, and now what's the reprove mean? Now uh, this is what a preacher is supposed to do. Are, is everybody listening? Yeah. This is what a preacher is supposed to do. He said reprove. You know what that means? Charge to a fault to the face. Did yeah. yeah. You know the Bible said, he said, then rebuke. He, he said, we'll get it. This is what it means. To charge with a fault to the face. To convince people of a fault, of a sin, or of a wrongdoing, and to place blame. Now, reproving is not railing or condemning everything in sight or everyone else to make yourself look good. But reproving is to bring a sense of guilt through the preaching of God's word. That's what God intends to happen. And we need it. Amen. And I always tell you a little something. You preach your to preach. Danny, you, you back me up on this. You be a preacher and boy, you're just preaching. The next thing you know, you preach yourself under conviction. Yes. And you're going, good, learn to live, and I'm preaching these people, and I've just got to quit and go to the house and get on my knees. It'll happen to you, amen. amen. But if you're not preaching reproof, hey, mature people know they need reproof. And they appreciate reproof. They don't have a bad attitude toward, if he's preaching the word and preaching the truth and love, they don't have a, he's just preaching to me. He's just beating on me. He's just being mean to me. You've got a big problem in your heart. Now, if the preacher's up there beating just maliciously and mean and got it in for you, that's a whole nother deal. But I'm gonna be honest with you. I've very seldom ever heard anybody really that way. There probably some around. I know personally. to be honest with you, I don't get i preach on stuff. I'm, I'll preach on it. But it ain't. The, it, Paul said this, not for your destruction. This is not for your destruction. But anyway, then the next thing he does, look at there. He said, uh, he said, he said in, in 2 Timothy 4, he said, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove. And then the next thing he says, rebuke. Now, I want to tell you something. The Bible says. Boys, put up Luke 17.3, would you please? Luke 17.3 and then 1 Timothy 5.20. i want to show you something. How many here thinks that sometimes I'm a little rough? It's okay if you raise your hand. I don't care. I tend to be a little bit rough once a while. Preaching can be rough. Now, can I tell you, I'm going to show you in the Bible that I've never been rough. I'm going to show you in the Bible, you don't have a tough, bold preacher. I'm going to show you from the Bible that in a certain sense of the way, I'm a sissy preacher. Luke 17.3 says, it, Take heed to yourself. If thy brother trespassed against thee, rebuke him. Don't go talking to everybody else in the country about him. Go to him yourself. Get some guts and backbone and love of God in you and say, you know something? You trespassed against me and I want to talk to you about it. And I'm going to rebuke. You You shouldn't have done that. Now, God didn't just say for preachers to rebuke. He tells us to rebuke one another. Hmm. Now watch this in here. Rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. I want to tell you something. They got this movement going around the country that repentance is not necessary for salvation. And I don't believe it. Amen. I believe in repentance. I don't believe repentance saves you. I believe he prepares you to be saved. Amen. You can repent until the cows come home and die and sit and go to hell. But repent. You know what Paul preached in the chapter we looked at? He said, repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. He did not leave repentance out. Somebody says, well, when he told the man at uh, Acts 16, the jailer, all he said was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and that jailer came to him on his knees and said, what must I do to be saved? He'd already repented. He was repentant. He could give him the gospel. A man who doesn't have repentance doesn't appreciate a savior who died for him. Anyway, here we go. Now, look at 1 Timothy 5. Go to 1 Timothy 5, 20. I want to show you why I'm a sissy preacher. I should have named this message why I'm a sissy, worthless preacher. This is in 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is a pastoral epistle. This is telling preachers what to do. Are you reading it? Look at verse 20. Then that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Please, somebody help me out. Tell me what that means in the Greek. Tell me what it means. Before everybody. Then the sin rebuked before all. I'm going to tell you the closest I ever came to this. was when a, a woman jumped me in, out in this church after, after church, followed me clear out to my truck because I took a stand on an issue that she didn't like and she wouldn't let it go. I sat in my truck literally telling her, listen, I'm going home. This is no good. And she wouldn't stop. And I finally told her, I said, if you don't stop Sunday morning, I'm going to rebuke you in front of the whole congregation. And I did all but call her name out that Sunday. And they left. It's tough. I didn't want to. It broke my heart to have to. There comes times. If you don't take a stand as a preacher, they're going to run over you like a freight train. And I tell you, especially some old wicked Jezebel who wants who already been running her husband for 30 years. And she thinks every man in the country, she can dominate and boss. And I tell you what, you want to get my hackles up, you women just start trying to tell me what to do. Because I'll tell you what, Adam, his wife told him what to do and it got us all in trouble. (laughs) I'll be nice, Amen. You know, and I love. Well, I just wanted to be. You know, I'm like, "Where's your husband? Why are you out here barking at me like a like a poodle?" <laughs> but I'm going to tell you the truth. I've known a lot of sin in this church, and I have yet to this day to say so and so is living in sin, doing wrong, and I'm going to rebuke him before everybody this morning here at church. I've never done that in my life. I know it. I guess I ain't got the guts. Would any of you go to a church where a preacher did that? I read that and I say, Reggie. I just say, Lord, I don't know. I don't want to have to do that. I just don't want to have to do that. So I'm just telling you, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2. 2 Timothy 4 2. If you think this just a one, one this ain't a one trick pony, buddy. First Timothy four, verse or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2, if we get that. Man alive! I can't believe this. Eleven fifty-two already. <laughs> Preach the word. Be instant in season. Now season. Reprove. Rebuke. With all. Exhort. With all. Long serving. Now, we're just going to let me just. Uh, I want you. Uh, please bear with me a little bit here. I want you to go to uh, Titus one thirteen. And if you want to write these references down, Titus two fifteen. Titus 1.13. These are pastoral epistles too. Titus 1.13. Wis witness true? He's talking about people that are affecting the doctrine of Christ and so forth and the truth of the gospel. He said, wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith. God says rebuke is necessary in life. I'm going to say something. I needed a daddy who knew how to rebuke me. If I'm worth two nickels and three cents today, it's because my dad and my mom would rebuke me. Everybody needs somebody who who loves you enough will say, I'm I'm your dad and I love you and what you're doing is not right and in this house, it's going to stop. This ain't going on. Let me just tell you something. Open rebuke, the Bible said, is better than secret love. (laughs) But here's our problem a lot of times is that our rebuke is not given in love. That's right. And they don't know for sure whether it's for our best or whether they're just jumping on us. And that's where we get into a deal about it sometimes. So it has to be this truth spoken in love, but it has to be sharply, it has to be serious, okay, and and so forth. Now, go to Titus 2.15, if you will, and then we're going to hit some verses. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise me. Now, I'm going to show you something here today. I want to deal with an issue... That needs to be done. What's going to happen here is this. I can already tell you. I'm going to have to finish this tonight. Because there's no way I'm going to get through with this. I thought I'd just easily breeze through. It's 11. You guys are singing too long. Something's wrong. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I want you to go to Jeremiah uh, 10.21. Jeremiah 10.21. Now, I want everybody to pay really, really close attention here. Because here's part of the problem with America. Now, I'm I'm going to make it through a certain point in this message. We're we're about 10, 15 minutes out, okay? Just to give you a little hope. (laughs) But I am going to give you some hope that I'm not finishing the other five pages of notes, okay? We're going to do it tonight. All right. Jeremiah 10. Now, Now, watch this. Israel was going into captivity, Israel was given over to Baal worship. Everybody, everybody ready for this. They were given over to false worship and yet they claimed to be serving Jehovah God of the Bible. Right. Yeah. And it got to the point where they would have morning service at the temple and afternoon service, you might say, at the Baal temple. Or maybe Baal temple, real earlier service at Baal temple and go over to the, God's temple afterward. All right. And God's going to tell you in these texts how this came about and why it came about. The Bible said in the New Testament that judgment has to begin at the house of God. Well, if judgment is going to begin at the house of God, God always judges those in authority first, like pastors. To be honest with you, what this church is, is a reflection of of my leadership under the Lord. Just being truth with you. And I'm going to give an account to God Almighty. I'm going to stand in judgment for what I've done here at this church, what I've preached and how I've guided this church. all right? Here's what he says: "For the pastors are become brutish and have not sought the Lord, therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered." That's the condition of America today. Go to Jeremiah 12:10. Jeremiah 12, 10. Here it is. Watch this. Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. Who did God say was responsible for the deterioration of that nation? Did he say it was Washington, D.C.? Some president, some governor, some judge. He said the pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate. Now what's desolate? empty. Now listen, it wasn't necessarily that the services were empty of people, but the church and the ministry was desolate of the word of God. God wasn't in it. Go to Jeremiah chapter 23, verses one and two, Jeremiah 23, verses one and two. Now this is what I'm preaching today is critical for you and your, your, your descendants for your posterity, for you to live and church life can be tough. All right, but for you and if if your descendants are going to go to church and be saved or be saved and continue and be a salt and light in America and influence America, you better get a hold of what I'm preaching here in this whole deal right here with Timothy. Look at this. God said in Jeremiah 23, "Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture," saith the Lord. Now I want you to hang on your hat here for a little bit. Verse two. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people: ye have scattered my flock and driven them away, and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. And he did visit it, and those pastors went into captivity, just like everybody. Else. What was the problem? Well, they had become preaching for filthy lucre. It had become a money game. It had become everything but preaching the word of God and living the word of God in front. Now. It said they scattered them, said you wouldn't go visit them, and, and so forth, and he said, yeah, uh, he said, you, you, they feed your people. what were they feeding them? They weren 't feeding them something they needed evidently. now I 'm going to deal with a subject here that I think is so important. and I wrote it down this week just as I was meditating on this whole thing. you're going to have to, in your church life, discern When this is going on and when it's not. Okay? I watch one of my sons take care of his cattle about every day. Most of those cattle will follow his truck or tractor almost anywhere. Does anybody know why? He feeds them. They're in a snowstorm and I looked out the other day and they were running and playing. It's fed well. Okay. If people are being fed the word of God, I'm talking about saved people being fed the word of God. They have a tendency to come when the dinner bell rings. Okay. Now, these men evidently had not been feeding the word of God And by the way, you can get fed stuff that's not, if you eat Mars candy bars and RC Colas meal after meal after meal after meal, something bad's going to happen to you. You need some potatoes and cornbread and beans and some green beans. Amen? Amen. You need something that'll sustain you in the journey. It can't always be ice cream. and When you come to church, it can't always be ice cream and popsicles and Mars candy bars. Sometimes it's going to be What's that green round thing that I don't like? Brussels sprouts. sprouts. Man, oh man. How many has ever had to eat a Brussels sprout and just couldn't hardly choke it down? Boy, I mean to tell you, that's brouf stuff. Sometimes at church, it's Brussels sprouts. (laughs) Okay. Now, I'm going to say something. I don't want you to think I'm getting off on a Reggie tangent, but I'm going to give you church life. And for you preachers, this is important for you. Every church has people come and go. All right, that does not necessarily. Uh, uh, Brother Danny Friend, Danny, he's back here in the back. Danny Friend is not just a friend by name; he's a friend in the Lord. If Danny comes and talks to me or something like that, you know, I, I put trust because he and I serve the Lord together a long time. Stuff like, but he's a friend of the Lord. He said something to me the other day. I'll tell you what kind of guy he is. One of the roughest times I ever went through in my life as a pastor of this church. somebody knocked on my door I went to the door and it was Danny Friend and Danny Friend never comes to my house unless I call him to fix a tractor <laughs> and I, I hadn't called him to fix a tractor and I had preached a message entitled holding the ropes and he walked in my house and he had a rope he just said I want you to know I'm a holder of the rope we're holding you up in prayer. We're standing with you. Amen. Thank you. Lord. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something I've got that rope, and I'll have that rope till the day I die. Now, Danny, you may leave. I'm going to keep your rope. <laughs> but Danny said to me here a while back, he said, Reggie, all of us, sometime or another, left somewhere to come here. Yeah. That's, right. That's right. Keep that in mind. All right. So leaving or coming or going doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's bad or done bad or something like that. But what I am talking about only give you you preachers going to need this. You're going to need this. You're going to need this. Many times people leave because they're very disgruntled over what something the preacher preached, a position he's took and stood for and so forth. And I'm going to tell you this, most of the junk that I've had to put up with, I caught it after church was over on a Sunday night. There's something about Sunday nights after church you've got to keep your alarm up. I don't know what it is, but they'll say, I want to talk to you. I see Danny nodding his head back there. And they'll throw something at you, and it usually involves defiling other people here in the church. You just I mean, it'll nearly always involve that. Or something that you preached that they took offense at. My experience is by the point, by the time they came to you, they do not have a listening heart and they're not interested. And if you don't go along with what they want you to go along with, you're going to be the bad guy. And you can have meeting after meeting and talk to them and and, and unless they make you bow to their will, you're over. And then it comes to the point where they find out you're not caving in and you're not going to fold and you're not going to go along with their defilement. Then they leave. Okay. Okay. And then here's what comes. And I want you preachers to get this. This is what they'll say about you. They'll say that you, you scattered us, you drove us away, and you haven't visited us. I've had that used on me, I don't know, several times during the last 40 years. Well, why aren't you going there to church no more? Kelly drove us up. He, he run us off. I've run, if you want to talk about running somebody off, I've run one woman off in my lifetime at this church, and she was a hate Israel person. She hated Israel. This woman so when we were still in that building over there, and one Sunday morning she got up and took a songbook, and, and we didn't have carpet on that concrete floor, and she went, and I mean, it popped like a gun going off in that church. I mean, everybody thought somebody had fired a gun. And she wanted to bend me to be an Israel hater, hate Jews. And I told her, I said, you need to find some other place to worship because I'm not putting up with this and you need to leave. In fact, men carried her out and they'd carry out the escort (laughs) (laughs) route. That was wrong. I said something wrong. Okay. (laughs) But let me just tell you what you men that's going to preach need to expect. That they're going to accuse you of being the one that you ran them off. I was preaching to pretty big conference down in Carolinas one time. And I'll tell you how much I'm against running people off. I don't believe in running people off unless they absolutely are going to try to tear the church up. Unless they're just a wolf that's going to tear the church up. I have never asked anybody to leave unless I've I've told a few people that I don't think I can, that I have the ability to pastor you. And there's just people that I don't have. And there's, you know, it's just a fact. But as far as you know, that's not a grievous issue. But a preacher got up and he was preaching, boy, and he was wound up like three eight-day clocks. And he'd come around and said, "Oh, damn, bless God, I ran forty of them off last week." And I sat there and I wondered how, how many of those forty were children. How many of those forty, those children, wonder now? Now they're, they're just going here and they're going there and they're going everywhere. And you're bragging about running people off. And I will to be honest with you. I had to get up later that day and preach. And God had already told me what I was preaching. And I, I, mean, I, and I didn't, didn't do it meanly. But I said, I going to tell you all something. I said, I'm not interested in running nobody off. I said, I, I've been, and by the way, he wasn't the only preacher that did that at that conference. And I said, I've been hearing this preaching about running everybody off. I said, when people leave our church, it mm-hmm. grieves me. There's been a few times I was glad (laughs) you just couldn't fix it. And I want to tell you something further. I've seen churches get to where the spirit was bound. And then after that person left, free. I don't know. I don't understand that hardly, but that's kind of what works. Now, when you are told that a preacher runs somebody off, ask them specifically, what did they do to run you off? What did they say? What did they do? How did they do that? And you know, because they need to be called out on that, and and it's and it, it's just a, a bad deal. But guys, you're going to get, you're going to get hit with it. And uh, here's what I want to say to everybody: when you get into a situation like that, try to rise yourself above it, and see the greater cause. There are people dying and going to hell. There are families and marriages in trouble. Yeah. There are children in trouble. There's people sick. There's people dying. And you're sitting here fussing and yeah. trying to tear Jack up yeah. over your little issue because you got mad at somebody at church and you don't like him anymore. And, and, and you, it's going to be them or you leaving and you get the pastor trying to get on your side to get rid of them. It ain't going to work. God ain't going to bless it. You're going to mess things up. And it's going to be bad for you. And I'm just telling you. And if I love you as a pastor, I'm going to tell you these things this morning. I know this is not comfortable stuff. It's not comfortable for me to preach. But I'm telling you, it's the truth. Whew. Where am I at? Oh, the last one for us. Exhort. Back there in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Somewhere. Does it doesn't no I'm talking second Timothy chapter four verse number two? He said, Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. No. Now we've talked about reproving, we've talked about rebuking. But I like exhorting. <laughs> yeah. You know what I like to exhort? I like to encu- exhort means to encourage people. I mean to you know to, to infuse life into them and encouragement to them. I'm to be honest with you. I'm just not geared up to want to sit around and rebuke everybody all the time. I'm not, I'd just rather not mess with it. I'm not interested in it. I'd rather you, your grandpa take care of you. But I am into exhorting. Be of good cheer. We're going to make it. He's not going to leave us nor forsake us. The church is going through, amen. amen. We're going to make it. I want to encourage you today. You ever hear me say that? I want to encourage you today. You ever hear me say that stuff? I'm exhorting you. Read your Bible. Spend time in the Word of God. Don't forsake. Don't get so busy and miss your family. I'm exhorting you. Believe God against all odds. Have faith. Believe on Him. Trust in Him. Encourage Him. Give strength. You see, exhorting is to give strength to people, to give hope to people, to give encouragement to people. And I want to tell you something. I'm a big believer, and that's being enthused. Amen. And enthused comes from the word God. God's in the word enthused. And that's talking about having the life of God in what you're doing. And I just want to encourage you here today. Paul is talking to pastors. He's trying to give them guidance and wisdom and direction and so forth. And this is not a picnic or anything, but I'm going to tell you right now as sad and as you know, rough times I've had at times, I'm so thankful God called me to preach. And men, if God's called you to preach, He'll take you through. He'll be faithful to you. We're going to pick it back up tonight. <laughs> Twelve ten. Boy, oh boy. We're going to pick it up at, 12, at, at verse number 5 in Second Timothy 4 where it says, watch. It talks about enduring afflictions and so forth. And uh, we're going we're to finish this out tonight. Lord being our helper. Amen.